Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. You are a business owner. Do you want to save on income taxes, protect your business, and provide for your retirement? Of course you do. Do you have an enterprise risk management segregated asset plan? You probably don't. So listen carefully to this episode of the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast as J. Barry Watts of SavingYouTaxes.com explains what such a plan is and why you might want to have one. Again, Barry, this is the Enterprise Risk Management Segregated Asset Plan. What are we talking about? Well, thanks so much for asking because I've got some exciting things to talk to you about in that particular topic today. How would you like to have a tax deductible plan that would allow you to put away six figures and get a tax deduction for putting it away? That's the overall concept that we're going at today by talking about a tax strategy that could reduce your income taxes, oh, as little as $30,000, but could reduce it as much as a million dollars a year, depending on the size of your company and how much money you have to work with, and literally how much tax deduction you want to create. Sometimes we call these kinds of plans dial a deduction, (laughs) because you get to just dial it up to whatever size that you want it to be. Now, today we're talking about an enterprise risk management segregated asset plan. Whew! (laughs) That's a mouthful. Have you ever heard of one of those, Patrice? I have never heard of one of these. And is this something that is a combination of of old plans, or where did this come from? Well, I'm not shocked to hear that you've never heard of it, but I'll tell you that these have been around for at least 50 years. And uh, most tax return preparers have never heard of them and don't know how to use them and are even skeptical of them. But uh, every Fortune 500 company has one of these. But that's a big company then, Fortune 500, big company. Yeah, so how about the Fortune 5000 or the Fortune 50,000? My point is your company may not be a Fortune 500 company. And even though it's not in the Fortune 500, you too can set up one of these tax deductible Enterprise risk management segregated asset plans for your company. <laughs> it now, sounds like a, such a big a, name. We're going to call them SAPs going okay, forward good. for segregated asset plan, SAP. But even though your company is small, what that just simply means is that instead of putting millions of dollars into your plan, you're only going to put into your plan uh, maybe uh, tens of thousands or a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars into your plan. But the point is you can do that. And would it help your business to have that kind of tax deduction? Yes. So this is an all-encompassing strategy. It protects your business. It builds equity. It'll be worth something in the future. It provides asset protection in the event you incur a risk or loss. Hmm. It can pass the assets to the next generation more efficiently it delivers to you a tax deduction and it has significant tax benefits after the tax deduction, providing a pathway to retirement for a business owner 
and have them only pay a tax in the end in single digits, as small as 4%. If this is so all-encompassing, as you say here, why don't people use it? Why don't business owners know about this? Well, you have to ask yourself, where do business owners get their information? And for the most part, when it comes to taxes, they get their information from whoever prepares their tax return. Right. And there is no place in accounting school, assuming their tax return prepares an accountant or CPA, there's no place in accounting school where these kinds of strategies are taught. What they teach there is how to balance your books. Accounting is the keeping of records on the things that have happened. And so they teach you how to add columns and make columns uh, going up and down balance with columns going across and then how to take those numbers off those columns and put them into the proper government forms. That's what accounting does. You see, there's no degree in tax strategy. There's no degree in the work that we do. The degrees are in accounting. And so unless an accountant uh, learns that there is more to be learned, and goes and pursues that particular education, which is exactly what we've done, uh, there's just not any opportunity for them to learn and know about these things. And there's no reason for them to teach this then to their clients. The clients don't know to ask for it. And uh, the accountants, by and large, by the time they get out of school, they're tired of it. You know, they've had enough schooling for a while. They finally passed all the tests, got their credentials, and they are now a full-fledged CPA. And uh, that's an accomplishment, and they should certainly be proud of that accomplishment. But there's just not a lot of incentive to say, okay, I'm going to go back and dig out the things that nobody taught me. Remember, the tax code is full of red lights and green lights, and the red lights say, here's where you have to pay a tax. And the green lights say, except, unless. And so our job as tax strategists is to identify the green lights. The job of an accountant and tax return preparer is to be sure that you're in compliance with all the red lights. And so what happens is they go through and fill out all the red lights and make sure you're in compliance with those. We bring a green light to life and our green light neutralizes one of the red lights. That's the way it works. And so business owners don't know because there's no way for business owners to learn this unless they learn it from somebody like us. And very few business owners have uh, somebody like us in their life. I mean, we can all have only so many relationships. And so that's why the podcast is so important, because it allows us to put this message out there so that business owners can digest it in their own time, whether they're sitting on the couch in the evening, whether they're uh, on the treadmill exercising, whether they're in the boat fishing or in their commute to work, uh, they can listen to these uh, messages and learn and educate themselves so that they can manage their business more efficiently. All right, then tell me about this SAP. And there's got to be risk here, right? Well, there's not necessarily risk in the SAP, but there has to be risk in, in life for the SAP to work. Because remember, it's an enterprise risk management segregated asset plan. So let's just think about this idea of risks and what the risks are that all of us know and understand. Now, you have got a house that has insurance on it so that if it burns down tonight or if uh, there's a, uh, a great tidal wave hits the eastern seaboard where you're located, uh, I'm supposing that your house would be insured against something like that. In the Midwest, we have tornadoes all the time. Mm -hmm. We've got insurance against our house being destroyed by a tornado. So if it's a business owner, imagine that you had a building burn or imagine that you had a warehouse full of merchandise. Uh, my office and headquarters is located uh, in the Ozark Mountains, very near a community called Branson. 
And you may remember hearing a few years ago, uh, just two years ago now, that in Branson, there was a um, entertainment enterprise right. called Ride the Ducks. And you may remember right. the duck boat right. sank. And I believe there were 19 people who drowned yes. in the duck boat accident. Uh, and we're not very far from Joplin, Missouri, where the famous tornado hit and killed, I don't know, 60 or 70 yeah. some people. So these kinds of risks happen and you can insure against some of those kinds of risks. And generally you use a property and casualty, in, casualty insurance company to cover those kinds of risks. But there's a whole nother set of risks that business owners have that most people don't have any coverage for. They've never even thought about coverage for that. And those risks could create a great financial loss for your company. Such as? Well, I'm so glad you asked. So think about this for a moment. Think about risk in a whole different way. We're not just talking about your building burning down. We're talking about risks to your business and to how your business functions. Now, we're recording this podcast right in the middle of the shutdown for COVID-19. And many of the people who listen to this will have seen their businesses be negatively impacted by COVID. It's an interesting thing that some businesses have actually been positively impacted mm. by COVID. But the point is, what would happen if you lost a key employee, that one key linchpin person who runs your business? What would happen if they got COVID and had to be out for a period of months or, God forbid, if they died? How would that impact your business? Right. What would happen if your main product supplier had to shut down their production lines due to COVID or some other kind of event. What would happen if your computer system was hacked and you were locked out of it and the hacker won't let you back into your own system? And those ransomware attacks are occurring more and more. That is a big deal. And uh, I've been fortunate to avoid that myself. And we've got security systems in place to avoid that. But these kinds of things do happen. And when they happen, they're very severe. What would happen if you lost your largest customer? They just walked away. And some business owners will say, well, it's not a big deal. I've got a diverse group of customers. But some businesses are built around two or three really large customers and then several hundred customers that they'll never know if those particular customers left. But what if you lost one of those largest customers? Or how about this? What happens if a regulator showed up in your office and slapped you with some type of a government order that hampered your business for polluting the air or violating this or that or some environmental thing or whatever it might be? It happened to a friend of mine, in fact. His company was located here in southwest Missouri, and he was importing lamps from China. And uh, you know the little underwriter's laboratory sticker on the bottom right. of the lamp? Right. Well, somebody in China that he didn't even know had counterfeited those and was sticking fake stickers on the lamps. So it looked like the lamps were uh, certified and of higher quality than they really were. Now, my friend didn't know anything about this. He's just getting the lamps that have the sticker on them. He assumes it's all good to go. Until the day the FBI showed up in his office with guns drawn. Oh, wow. Well, you would think that, uh, you know, we probably don't need to draw our guns. We could just probably walk in and say, hey, we've got a little problem here. Let's talk no, about no, this. No. Uh, his take on that was these government guys were looking for an opportunity to shake their guns in somebody's face. And his face was the one that got his guns, uh, got oh. the gun shaken in it. And so uh, ultimately he lost an entire warehouse full of merchandise and paid a six figure fine when he hadn't done anything wrong. And he didn't even know anything wrong had been done. 
So these kinds of things happen all the time. What would happen if something like that happened in your business? How would it impact your business and could you survive it? And That's commercial the kind of risk you have to deal with. And commercial insurance doesn't cover this. Well, commercial insurance covers some things, but your commercial insurance policy is really written like Swiss cheese. It's got holes all through it. And so typically, uh, commercial insurance policies cover the big standard kinds of problems, building burns down, building blows down, car wrecks, those sorts of things, injuries on the job. But these odd sorts of things, I'm pretty sure if you went to a commercial insurer and said, I want to ensure that the stickers on the bottom of the lamps that I import aren't fake stickers, mm. you know, how are they going to, how, how can they ensure that? It's really difficult for them to do that. And so uh, these are problems that come up. Here's another example. Let's say that you had an employee that you fired and that employee decided to get on the internet and start making claims against you and your company, saying bad things and destroying your company reputation. Mm -hmm. And it began to get traction and you lost a lot of business because of what that person said. Could you recover from that? Is there anything that protects you from that? What would happen if somebody tried to kidnap one of your children or grandchildren? Or what if you hired a new employee and a few months later, they claimed that you had sexually harassed them? Those are the kinds of risks that business owners incur and that they generally don't have much protection against. So most of those are things that you, you think, well, maybe it won't really happen to me. It's highly unlikely. And indeed, it is highly unlikely. But the question is, if one of these oddball events occurred, how would it impact you financially and how can you protect yourself against it? These events are what we call low probability, high cost risks. They probably won't happen, but if they do, it will be a very severe thing. And again, your commercial insurance policy probably won't help you here. That's exactly right. For most of those, your commercial insurance policy is not going to be of value. So what I'm going to suggest to you is a type of an account called a segregated asset plan, a SAP. And these have been around for at least 50 years. All the Fortune 500 companies use these. And these accounts fall under the insurance statutes. And they effectively allow you to start your own private insurance company. Now, Patrice, when I say insurance company, tell me what you think of. Oh, I think of big behemoths. Yeah. Yeah, big brick building with big pillar. Yes, yes. I mean, big and, names, and they've been around forever. And you don't ever file a claim because your rates may go up. <laughs> well, that's true, too. Thousands of employees. Yes. That's what people think of when they think of an insurance company. But that's not what we're talking about. I want you to think about the statutes that allow those insurance companies to exist. Those same statutes will allow you to create a segregated asset plan for yourself. And so instead of thinking of a big building and pillars and employees, I want you to think about a file in your filing cabinet. This is an alternative tax deductible way to protect yourself from these risks and to keep all the profits that would have normally gone to the insurance company, but you use them to grow your personal wealth while you're protecting yourself from these particular risks. It's a way of self-insuring. Right, right. Now, for most people, here's what self-insurance really means. Most people, when they say, well, I'm self-insuring, what that means is if it happens, I'll just take the blow. And if it's too severe, they don't have enough money to cover it. 
But a SAP plan is an account that you own into which you deposit tax-deductible money. And if you ever need that money, you can use it to cover your risks. But if you don't ever need it to cover your risks, then all that while the account has been invested and it grows and you can pay extremely low taxes as low as 4% when you take the money out of that account and close it out at retirement. So help me here. When you deposit this, it's tax deductible. And when you take it out, it's low taxes. Well, it may be no taxes when you take it out, depending. So I'm telling you kind of uh, the the middle strategy case, which would be that you could pay taxes of 4% or something like that. So picture this as you think about how this works. So you own a company and you set up an enterprise risk management segregated asset plan or a SEP. Now, every year, your company is going to pay money called a premium Mm -hmm. into the segregated asset plan account. And that premium is tax deductible. Now, when that premium arrives in the segregated asset plan account, there are no insurance agent commissions that come out of it. There's no insurance company advertising costs that come out of it. There are no executive salaries that come out of it. Why? Because you are the executive and you aren't going to charge yourself for running your own SAP account. Now, there are some administrative costs, typically 6 to 10% of the amount of the premium you pay will go to CPAs and administrative expenses, lawyers to set these plans up. But 90% of the money stays in the account in your name. And of that money, about 60% of it is immediately investable in whatever kinds of investments you may want to make stocks or bonds or mutual funds or loans, et cetera. Now that's about 60% of the money immediately invested. About 40% is held out for claim reserves. Hmm. So from from our dollar, we have 60% that's already over in our account invested, 40% held out for claim reserves. And the reserves are what the insurance companies pay their claims out of. So your reserve sits there. And this is a very important feature. It is combined with the reserves of other business owners like you who also have a SAP plan. And it's available for claims if one is made. Now, typically, the claims that are made on these types of accounts historically are about 2% of the premium that you've paid into the SAP. Why is it so low? Well, here's why it's so low. This is a full-fledged legal insurance entity but it's owned by business owners who aren't looking to charge their insurance company for a claim. Mm -hmm. So they don't really want the money to come out of the insurance company for the claim. What they really want is the money to stay in there until they retire 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years from now. And they've got a big bulk of money that is tax free that they can use. Um, So that's why the claims history is so low could be higher, but historically claims history is only about 2%. And 2% is nothing. Say again, 2% is nothing. Yeah, that's not a very big deal in the the scheme of things to get an account that has tax protections. So at the end of the year, that 40% that we had set aside for reserves, less any claims, comes back to your SAP account. And now you've got about 90% of what you paid in sitting in the account. And everything that's sitting over in your account is called excess reserves. This is how insurance companies get rich is on excess reserves. Now, they then take that and they invest that in bonds or 
uh, real mm-hmm. estate or whatever insurance companies invest in, the excess reserve in your SAP account is no longer subject to claims. Once that 40% has been through that claims process and comes over to you, it's no longer subject to claims. It just becomes capital or equity, if you will, growing in your SAP account for whatever future use you may choose. You can invest this? It's not just sitting there. You can invest It is invested. Yes. My own personal SAP account. It is invested. I own stocks in my own personal SAP account. And so in the future, what can you use this for? Well, let's just say that you've done this for 10 years. So you've been putting $200,000 a year in for 10 years because 200,000 just happened to be the right Mm -hmm. amount for you and your business. So if you've done that for 10 years, you've put in $2 million, plus you've had growth on the account. Let's say the total value of the account is worth $3 million. And at the end of 10 years, you're ready to sell your business, retire and go on your merry way. So what do you do? Well, the answer is you do whatever you want to do (laughs) because you're done. And you have $3 million sitting in an account that has grown without any annual tax being paid on it. And now you're ready to take the money out of that account. And when you take the money out of that account, depending on how you take it out, you could pay capital gains taxes here in the U.S. And, you know, capital gains taxes are a lot cheaper than income taxes. So the worst thing that could happen is you pay capital gains taxes, but there are mechanisms by which you can actually pay as little as 4% tax on that when you take the money out of your account. So you've got this big account sitting there. You're ready to retire. It's worth, we said, $3 million in this case. It could be $10 million or $30 million, just depending on how large your business is. You could just leave that money in the account and consider it what we might call a family bank. And so when your son-in-law wants to borrow $100,000 to start a business, the family could decide whether or not to loan him the money from the SAP. When your daughter wants to buy a house, the SAP can loan her the money and hold the mortgage instead of her going to the mortgage company to borrow Mm -hmm. the money. Or you could just take the money out of the account and begin withdrawing it, in which case those taxes are going to be due. Now, I already said, if you live here in the U.S. and you pull this money out of your account and you don't activate some other provisions, you'll have to pay a capital gains tax, which right now would be 15 to 20%. But if your account's large enough, you might want to do what some friends of mine did. They actually moved to Puerto Rico, which is a U.S. jurisdiction that has more favorable laws than the mainland. Mm -hmm. And they moved there for two years. And during that two years, they withdrew all the money from their segregated asset plan. And they only paid taxes on the earnings, not the contributions that they'd put in, but the earnings above $1.25 million. And that's when the tax they paid was only 4%. And then after they got the money out of that account, they were able to repatriate all that money back to the U.S. mainland and move back here. What's so special about Puerto Rico? Uh, Well, depends on who you are, but a lot of people think there are a lot of special things about Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico has a very uh, favorable tax treaty with the United States. It's far more complex than I can even understand. But people who live in Puerto Rico are U.S. citizens. Right. But Puerto Rico is not a state. Puerto Rico has its own IRS separate from the uh, uh, Internal Revenue Service of the United States. They have their own tax system. 
And long ago, there was an agreement made when Puerto Rico came under the U.S. umbrella about how Puerto Rico would be able to handle their own taxes. Now, Puerto Rico wants money on their island for development purposes. And so they give incentives for companies to bring the money to Puerto Rico. And that means that when they write their laws and their legislation about insurance companies, one of the favorable places that you get the greatest treatment for an insurance company is in the laws of Puerto Rico. So we design these mm. saps. We design these saps according to Puerto Rican law. And though all the people who run them are here in the United States, they actually run them on on Puerto Rican law. And what that means right. is they're taxed at Puerto Rican rates. That's amazing. But it's not surprising. And now I think I understand why Puerto Rico doesn't want to become a state. Yeah, that's exactly right. They've got their own agenda. And if you've exactly. been to Puerto Rico, and I have a few times, um, there's lots of reasons for them not to want to become a state. It's really a beautiful island and a lovely place to be. Now, if you and I have three or four or $10 million in our SAP account, and Puerto Rico is probably not going to be changed very much by our three or four or $10 million. But you multiply that by hundreds or thousands of business owners over the years, and then you imagine these Fortune 500 companies with hundreds of millions of dollars in their SAP. And when that kind of money starts staying on the island and mm -hmm. getting reinvested, it's what makes the Puerto Rican economy grow and develop. And so some rich executives just live there long enough to take their money out and return to the U.S., but others choose to retire there and enjoy the tax benefits that are unheard of here on the mainland. I was just going to say, what are the differences in the tax benefits on retirement? Well, there is a tax on other retirement income, but specifically we're talking about this pot of money gotcha. and what the taxes are on this pot of money. And I don't frankly have specialty in Puerto Rican retirement tax, but I do have specialty in this pot of money. And I'm telling you that the, the tax on this can be as small as 4%. So for a small or mid-sized business owner, this is a tool that though it was really designed for big fortune 500 companies, it's also allowed for people like you and me. And as I already mentioned to you, I have mm -hmm. a SAP. It gives us a deduction now. So our taxes are reduced. It allows us to grow our money without taxation all the while that it's growing. It provides a way to create a pool of wealth for our family. It allows us to take future income tax-free almost or at very favorable capital gains rates. And that's why we have clients who opt to use an enterprise risk management segregated asset plan. What's not to like, though? Come on. I mean, this is great. It is fabulous. <laughs> and, you know, it's a little bit complex. There's some things you got to get your brain around. And you have to be able to um, say, okay, I don't understand all of that, but it makes sense. And I'm following, connecting the dots enough to right. say that it's something that we should go ahead with. And what we do is we surround you with people who are experts in this business, who do nothing but this kind of work, the lawyers and the accountants who do that, until your questions are all answered. And they even meet with your accountants and your lawyers to answer any questions that they might have. And so when you put one of these uh, SAP plans in place, here's what I want you to imagine. Uh, last week, we talked about the cash balance plan when we did the last, it wasn't last week, but it was the last podcast. Mm -hmm. We talked about the cash balance plan. And imagine if you had a SAP plan and a cash balance plan, together you could be putting away nearly $500,000 tax deductible. 
In fact, I just had a, a client. Uh, this is a wonderful story that I'm very proud of. A uh, day before yesterday, she walked into my office and she dropped off a check for $476,000 to deposit into her cash balance plan. On top of that, she had already put $200,000 into her SAP plan earlier. So you add those two numbers together, that's almost $700,000 in income that this client is avoiding taxes on for this year because they are using these plans to their advantage. Now, this particular person is a business owner, but by training, it might interest you to know that she has a degree in accounting and she holds the CPA credential. But she didn't know about these plans until she met us and we taught her about tax strategies beyond what she already knew and what she'd already learned in her accounting education. And that's what we do at savingyourtaxes.com. We help you discover things that you haven't known about how taxes can be handled. If your tax preparer doesn't know about those things, we help educate them on the jot and tittle of the internal revenue code so they understand where in the revenue code it says that you're allowed to do this, so they understand that it's legal for you to do this. And we help business owners reduce their income taxes in some cases by six figures. That's uh, uh, three numbers and a comma to the left and three more numbers. <laughs> Six-figure tax reduction because they followed the principles that were already in the tax code. And one of the ways that you can do that is by putting in place an enterprise risk management segregated asset plan. And don't forget the cash balance plan. One of those two. Yes. Yes. You might as well do both. How can a business owner get in touch with you, Barry, to find out more about this? So you simply need to go to savingyoutaxes.com. And at savingyoutaxes.com, we've got some educational videos there. We've got some information on our firm and who we are and the things that we do that'll help you get comfortable. And believe it or not, we've got a phone number and an email address on there. And so you can reach out to us via email or via phone and connect up with us just like someone did uh, this week. In fact, we had a lady call from Michigan who lived half the year in Michigan and half the year in Florida. And she called the fellows back in the Midwest in Missouri and said, uh, she said, I've got a tax advisor and I've got a financial advisor, but she said, I don't have anybody who's doing the things that you're doing. How can you help me? And that's the kind of thing that we're doing at the end of our conversation. She had engaged us uh, to really coordinate what's going on with her other team of advisors. And uh, that's what we do for folks. So if we can help you, please reach out to us at savingyourtaxes.com and we'll be delighted to be of assistance. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Contact Barry with any questions about the Enterprise Risk Management Segregated Asset Plan or anything else you might have on your mind. To hear more from J. Barry Watts of SavingYouTaxes.com, subscribe to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast. You just have to use the subscribe button on this page. And you can also share with the share button. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.